ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Matt Hancock, how are you, sir? Doing good, Lenny, and you? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for joining us here on ATV Talk. Um, let's uh, let's get into a little bit of uh, your history and how'd you get into off-road? Man, I uh, so I grew up riding quads from, I don't know, the time I could walk. I used to sneak into the shop and ride circles inside the, inside the shop. That way my parents couldn't see me riding whenever I wasn't supposed to be when I was real little. So um, I think I wrecked my first quad when I was two or three and just started from there. Always, always loved it. So um started getting older and my older brother was racing. And um so of course what what younger brother doesn't look up to their big brother. So I wanted to start racing and um since I'd ridden riding quads for so long, I ended up getting a Yamaha blaster and and it was kind of the beginning there. I think it was two thousand one when I started 2000 or 2001 when I got the blaster and then just took off from there. It was a blast. That's awesome. Did you race mainly in the, uh, in the Arizona Phoenix area where you guys live? Yeah. So my first, my first race was a, a whiplash race here in Arizona. Um, and then I hit the local, uh, worst races when they used to come to speed world. That, so I think my first three were whiplash and then, speed world and then best and desert used to have the youth races there on friday and parker so i i did those um and pretty much that's what i did i um just did the local races for ah, a few years in a blaster and then uh after i don't know maybe three four years i, I did uh started going to some worse races not many um but just a few the local havasu ones um I went to a few California races, not a ton. I just kind of jumped in with my brother on some um, and went and raced the worst races when he was doing some, but primarily stayed with the desert stuff. Uh, when you say desert, just mostly the best in the desert stuff or any of the races the, they had in, in California? Well, no, mainly with the Whiplash Series here in Arizona. It was a lot of the um, – and well, for the youth races, they were usually four or five six seven mile tracks that we got to do and we do race for an hour and um so it's just we do like a miniature version of the desert races with the big quads and bikes and stuff got to do 20 30 mile laps and so they just have a condensed track for us to do and so we were out in the desert out by lake pleasant arizona we'd race in wickenburg up at the cinders um a little bit everywhere just scattered across arizona so that that was a lot of fun getting to go out and race in the desert. So it just was like being in my backyard. Nice. Nice. So <clears throat> when did you uh, start progressing into the 450 and the bigger bikes? So I, my parents made me hold off for quite a while. I don't think they really didn't want me to grow up much. And so I kept wanting a 450 and wanting to ride on a 450. And um, when we go practice, sometimes my brother let me ride, ride on his and, but I didn't really, I think it was, oh, what was it? It was 
08, I uh, got my first 450 and then rode it for a little while um, for maybe, I don't know, a month or two. And then just because I think I got it around Christmas time or right before that. And then I rode it for a month and then I did the first uh, works race when they were here in January at Speed World um, racing the B class. And I think I got, that was my very first 450 race. And I remember, uh, I got second, I was in production B and Mike Sloan won it. So it was kind of <laughs> been racing against him for a while, but yeah, that was, I want to say maybe 2007, 2008, 2009. I guess I don't remember anymore, but can you hold on one second here? Y- yep. Thanks for holding. So no you've been, um, racing in the same uh arena that mike has for quite a while then yeah he was i think he was racing 450 uh, a few years before that on uh, in the local series but yeah that was i just remember that um this was kind of funny how we kept racing each other coming up through the ranks um and then uh, he's still racing but um not on the quad anymore but so I, i raced the 450 mainly in the local series for a while uh, I think maybe for the rest of that year, I primarily did the local series. I raced the works in Havasu, Works Speed World when they were here close, um, but primarily did the Whiplash series because I mean I really enjoyed the desert stuff, and so getting to go do the twenty thirty mile loops that we could do here, it was a lot of fun, and just getting the experience on that four fifty and um, just and I I was very fortunate getting to ride outside my backyard where I grew up, so I could go out when I get home from school and ride till dark and pretty much got to do that all growing up when I got the blaster to 450 and just that's pretty much the the training that I ever did when I was growing up racing and uh, just getting on there and riding till dark with friends and then coming home and doing it all over again the next day. Did uh, you ever spend any time with Baja with your brother? So yeah, growing up, I would go down there. Uh, I'd usually ride down with my dad. We'd go down for contingency the morning of contingency and then stay for the race and then come home that next morning and, so man, I had a blast doing that. That was so much fun. There's, I don't have that, those memories forever. It was, it just, you can't explain Baja. If, if people haven't been and experienced those races, even being real young and going, it, there's just something about it that um, the way the whole community shuts down and the way the races are, it, there's just something about it that it was I mean, so much fun. It's, it's pretty awesome when you're in Baja and, you know, if you're your so-called enemy, that you're racing against needs something and, and you, and you reach in your toolbox and you grab it out and you hand it to them. And, you know, a hundred miles later, you need something. And one of their guys reaches in his box and hands it to you. And, and you go back and forth throughout the whole day, you know, wheel to wheel, you know, well, desert racing is not really wheel to wheel, but you, yeah. you know, you're, you're dust trail to dust trail and, and exactly. you're, you're seeing the same pit guys there and you're just having a ball. So you just keep, uh, you just keep that family camaraderie going and, and it's always about making sure that your, your brother is okay. You know, if his team goes down or if one of their chase guys is, it, it has a problem, you're always there to help. Yeah. And that's what was kind of cool. It was, you'd, you'd see everybody else out there. And I mean, everybody would race against each other for so long that it was kind of another race family. And um, when people would run into issues or, you're stuck out in the middle of the desert and you uh, kind of had that reassurance that if someone went by and saw you, they'd stop and help you or um, 
if they could pass along something that, I mean, people would send parts to, with other riders to get out if you, someone was broke down, just something you don't always get in, in most racing. Well, it's not really necessary in most close course racing, but um, it's just something that Baja brings to it that everybody's trying to beat the course first and then their competitors next. And so it just makes a, a whole nother thrill to it. There's being able to see Baja and even just what, we, what I was able to see chasing and then see the, the way everybody worked together and, and made it through the race. Well, I, I always loved it because no matter how well you prepped that bike and, and no matter how hard you worked to get yourself prepped, there was always something that you didn't plan for, whether it be terrain, whether it be bike related, whether it be pit crew related, just it was a never ending story. Yeah. And that's what you hear some, like you get on the radio or everybody listen to the weatherman on the radio and you hear these things that pop up, but uh, people dammed up at one of the, the creeks and now the water's four foot deep and people have to go through it. Cause that's the course. And I mean, who would expect that you're going to have that in a desert race. And so people are drowning out bikes or booby traps this. And it's just, uh, you never know what's going to happen every time you try and relax. And it's, it's like that. And I mean, a lot in best in desert. It just, every time you start to relax is when something happens because you just, you think you got it one or you're ready to go. And it's just, you're never ready completely just because you never know what the course is going to bring to you. I always like just the fact that my intensity is, you know, starts about two weeks before any event and I just get uh, really wound and and my wife sends me out to the garage and just you know, stay out there for as long as you can until you get tired then you can come in the house because you just need to calm down a bit. Yeah. And with Baja, especially cause you get to go down and pre-run and do all that. I, I, uh, I had one opportunity to race down there. Um, it was a Baja 500. Um, I want to say probably 2011 or 12. Um, we went down there and I had once, I, I think it was about a 70 mile section. I was going to ride. So we got to go down and pre-run and got, went down. I think we went down on Tuesday, Tuesday morning, got down there. Um, so went down, wrote my sections. I was supposed to get on uh, right about Borrego and right through Valley T and get off at Valley T. Um, I mean, my section was a blast. And so I did that a, a handful of times and got to go ride some of the other sections. I, I think I rode my GPS set at like five, over 500 miles that week before the race. I mean, it was the dream. I mean, you go and I rode my section, then rode over to the coast and rode up some of the coast sections just to be prepared in case something happened, but just enjoying it and riding for a week. I thought, still think the coolest thing ever was, um, Jesse, who always went to the races with me. Um, he parked at the taco stand at Valley T. I would do my loop. I'd pull up to him. I'd fill up with gas and I'd ride down the highway and start back over again. And just until I could do the loop as fast as I could. And, and go back home that night and start back the next day. Uh, to me, that was, that was a blast. It doesn't really get much better than that. And that's probably one of the best taco stands in Mexico. It is. No, you can't beat that. And everybody's been there. If anybody who's ever been there sees pictures of it, you ex instantly know where, where that person's at and how, uh, how much you miss it. Yeah. I, I could tell you a couple of stories about being there, you know, and I, I didn't get, I didn't get the opportunity like you would get to go ride Baja I only raced, I only got to race down there one time. But when I was working with Craig Christie, I would 
be in charge of the pits, you know, so they'd map it out and, and tell me, okay, you got to be here at this time. So I'd spend the day before the race, sometimes two days before the race, driving the route to see where I needed to be, how I needed to be there, looking at traffic, looking at the things that would affect me so that I could cover as many pits as possible. Um, not that I was the only pit guy, but I was just mm-hmm. anal freak that I had to <laughs> see the bike at every pit or, 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 you Get know, that my, reassurance. Oh, you know, my heart was going to blow out my chest just because it, I, uh, was stressing, you know, just because he, you get to watch the machine so much in my career. It's right in front of you on the course. And if there's a problem, you get to see it or it pulls in the pits, but Baja or best in the desert, when it leaves, you know, may not see it again for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Or longer. And especially, I mean, in, uh, before there was not the tracking that they have now. And so you could see it on your computer or someone back home calling you and telling you if the bike stopped or, or whatever, you just kind of waited and, and waited and sometimes waited even longer. and hope someone would stop and recognize you and tell you that where your rider was or if they were lost and lost or broken or just okay. And so that was one of the things that just kind of brought the interesting parts of the races down there and any desert racing really, but it's with now with all the tracking systems that are there, it kind of, it makes it fun for me being at home. I, I'm always calling, uh, Danny Stanford with tire blocks and we're always calling each other back and forth when all the desert races are going on we're tracking them and giving each other updates and haven't been to a race in a few years, but some, sometimes I always end up on my computer or on my phone, keep checking in and see who's winning and, and, uh, where they're at on the track. And just, that makes a whole nother aspect to the fun desert racing. You need to sit down with some of the old timers when they didn't even have satellite phones. And it was, yeah, I can imagine it was all disappear for days. It was all word of mouth. You know, the, the next guy through told the pit, Hey, this is what's going on. You know, and they knew mile markers, the old guys, they knew mile markers, they knew landmarks, they knew everything. And, and nowadays, you know, I mean, I could tell you a story about going out on the dry lake bed in 112 degree weather with a bottle of water in my truck and nothing else. You yeah. Know. <laughs> Hoping for the best. When would you ever do that if you're so comfortable because you can drive into town, you know, 30 minutes away and buy food or gas or whatever you need, or there's somebody, you know, 50 feet from you that can take care of you. Yeah. And it's, I mean, especially down there with you, uh, the pits aren't really, I mean, they're set, but there's so much gray area. at least there used to be so much gray area on where the pits were and kind of pitted wherever it made sense. Or if you used to haunt pits, it was, kind of where they were. So you had to get, figure out how you're going to get there. And just, um, sometimes you're way further than you ever want to be away from any town or civilization to get to. I mean, there was one time we were looking for, uh, one of the the bikes, the bike was broke. It was middle of the night and we're down, it was a thousand. We're heading down to La Paz. And I was, I was pretty young then, but, um, I think that was 2006. My brother was on a Honda then. And, we were uh, trying to find them in, in the middle middle of the night, and we go through this camp that it was when we get in there, and it looked like a prison with no fences. And it's <laughs> midnight, one o'clock, in, in the middle of Baja, and I mean, it just looks like this place that we probably shouldn't be. And we kind of look at each other and look around real quick. Once we find the track, and didn't see anybody there, so we got back out of there as fast as we could, and 
just one of those moments that you are uh, wondering if where you're at in Baja and if you really should be there or not. Yeah, that's and hope your broken Spanish can get you out of any <laughs> out of your trouble. Well, I didn't have any broken Spanish. I was always relying on somebody else, <laughs> or 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 just not stopping. Yeah, just keep going and pretend you don't see anybody. So <clears throat> you mentioned that when you were uh, coming up through the ranks, uh, riding in in um, Whiplash uh, and a little bit of works, that your training was just basically riding every day. It, did it stay that way your whole uh, racing career on the quad? It didn't. It changed when I started doing works more. Um, when I was in the B class, yeah. Most of the A class, um, the beginning time of the A class, yeah, a lot of it was just uh, just riding. And I obviously wasn't doing as good. By doing that, I wasn't riding enough or training hard enough by riding um, to, to progress to where I, I needed or knew I could get to. Um, so after about probably a year in the A class, I realized I really needed to get my stuff together. Um, it was just kind of, I mean, I was having fun, but it it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to go out there and compete and, uh, not just be driving around the track. So I started training a little bit more, working out more. Uh, and growing up, I was in high school, I played football and did stuff like that. So that helped me, uh, get in shape for riding and the riding itself. There's just nothing that can match it. Um, as far as training. So when I graduated high school, it was about the time when I, I was going up through the A class and um, decided I, I wanted to start doing better and knew I could do better. So I started training quite a bit more. I'd go to the gym um, every day and I kind of backed off my riding because I moved into the city and to go to school. And so my riding backed off a lot and I was riding maybe once or twice every other week um, and ride as much as I could. But for the most part, I just trained. Um, wasn't probably as much as I still should have, but it was enough that it got me by. And uh, I just, I still don't think anything can make up for the seat time, but it, it helped a lot. And then once I did that, I kind of got the itch and enjoyed it a lot more. So I started working a lot more. And then once I started doing better and moving up through the A class, then I really wanted it more. So I kept working out more. And then once you get up in the A class and, and up into the pro class, especially in works, um, if you're not riding every day or riding a lot, then you better be working out because you're just, you, there's no way of, of staying up with the guys, especially when we were doing the two hour mains and, and stuff like that. It just is just grueling on you. You better have some kind of preparedness or it's going to be a long race. Yeah. There'd be a little bit, better be something in that gas tank. Cause that, uh, that last half hours would, is the equalizer. Yeah, and especially back then, it, I mean, Shellman was was running the enduro cross sections. You never knew what you were going to have, and you could feel great. And there's so many races, and talk to so many people, it'd be the same. You come into the the enduro cross section feeling great, a little bit, not real long into the race, felt pretty okay, and you get stuck on a log or stuck on a tire, and just completely drain you for the rest of the race. And so, if you didn't train at least a little bit or, or be somewhat prepared for that, um, did you could be done in the lap or two, a lap or two because some of those enduro cross sections it take <laughs> you weren't that great on logs and tires it take a little bit a little bit out of you to get get over it just one time and you do it for two hours it I mean it just beats the heck out of you. Yeah, I had to take Tim to the side a couple of times and ask him, <laughs> "You're not the guy building these bikes. Uh, I am." And 
when you're destroying them on the way you set this up, maybe you should rethink it. Yeah, there were some that were they were pretty interesting that we were going through. Um, it made for a show a lot of times or a lot of uh, coming off the bike and pushing stuff over for for that. But, um, man, it, it definitely made you made you work to get through that next lap and then dread it when you made it back through to the enduro cross again. At least I did. It, it was something I never practiced on, and, and it definitely showed when I was trying to go through those enduro cross sections. It was not my strong suit. The bikes didn't care for it too much either. You hear all the rocks and stuff just pinging off A-arms and axles and chains and just hope for the best getting through those things. Yeah, it's a mechanic's nightmare. Yes. <laughs> I think he, Shelman heard that a bunch. Well, I wasn't the only one that was rattling his chain, you know. I mean, there was other guys. Yeah. Some of the pro guys were really adamant with him, you know, about destroying their machinery. And and he was even out there with them sometimes. And, you know, and... and Launching the K-Rails. Eh? Yeah. Shelman's definitely not afraid to put on a show. Well, yeah. And then Man. he launched the K-Rail and, you know, replaced the frame the next week. Yeah. No, he'd get a, get a show. Uh, Everybody loves so, Timmy. Were you racing the, the, uh, you were obviously racing works then at speed world when they were lining up 26 plus pros and then oh, yeah. a full uh, fleet of, of pro-am guys. No, and that so funny story there. You listened to the podcast the other day with, uh, Doug, uh, it brought back a lot of memories going when, when my brother was racing, following the work series, he had a two fifty R and, I mean, back when 250 people were still racing the 250 R's and you guys were talking about that, uh, the Utah race when you were on the 700s, I remember snowing that year, standing in the pits, frozen solid. Um, there's the Utah one. And then, uh, you guys were talking about Washougal. I remember going up to that one, the mud was nasty and there was more people that broke that race than finished that race. Probably happened a lot of mud races. Um, then what? Oklahoma. That was, that was a mud fest. I didn't, yeah. we clinched. We didn't go. Oh, really? Okay. That was a nasty race. I, I, I wasn't racing then, but I remember going to it and the, uh, let's see, there's, I mean, there, there's, everybody has a, a mud work story with, uh, I remember, and was, with you specifically, it was, in Hav- I remember a bunch of weird stuff, but standing in Havasu and when, uh, I don't remember the year, it was a complete mudder which who would have thought it have a suit. It was just, there was a foot of water across the whole track and people coming in, throwing gloves off, changing goggles. It was a complete chaos. Um, I think you guys were on the seven, the Kawasaki's that year too, or maybe you were. I was. Um, but I was the Kawasaki that year and Doug rode, um, of Honda. He was on a Honda. Okay. And then I can't remember, was that the same year that uh, the mud fest? I, my, when I first mainly was doing works was uh, the mud fest at Speed World. When they couldn't use a start line, when the whole start line was underwater and we started in the pits on the hot pit. I was in the amateur classes, but I raced that Sunday morning on my blaster. And I remember we used about a mile of the track and just because everything was so underwater. That, uh, that was a year I think Keith Little and Kramer and all those guys came out. I think uh, Doug was on a Polaris that year, if I remember right. Yep. Yep. That was, yeah. uh, it was 2008 because him and I had parted ways at that point. And, um, yeah, 
That was a, that was, in, that was I, quite the day. And it was, I sucked so much mud in that motor that it would not move. The throttle kept sticking wide open and heck I was 10, 12 years. It was 2008. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't really care about anything. So I was leaving it wide open as fast as I could until the bike sucked enough mud and water that ended up having to get towed in. But, uh, what was your last, was a, last year on the, on the quad in works? My last year on the quad that I was racing full time was, I believe 2016. Um, no, maybe 17. Cause I did 15 in best in the desert, 16 in the beginning of 16 best in the desert. And then 17 or 18. And I, I think I did a few in 18, but the last full year I did was 2017 on the quads. Right. And then in the pro class, right? Yeah. in the pro class, I, I did three years in or four years in the pro class, a few years in the pro-am class. Um, and then cause when we started, when I moved up to the pro class, uh, there wasn't a, quite the numbers. When I first moved up to the pro-am class, I mean, we had a full gate and I remember prim, I mean, there'd be, we were double stacked and anywhere we had gates for the pro-am class and the pro class was at least a full gate wide. Um, so the numbers were up there then. And, and then they kind of started dwindling off pretty fast. Um, it was about the time the economy was going down. So some people start quit racing for that and other people just were done racing and, um, right at the beginning of the end for, for the downturn, at least for the, for quads. And it's cool seeing them come back and seeing lines that are full. And it's cool to see, cause it, I mean, it's just nice to have those numbers. Being, being back. in the industry and seeing the diff, the flow, you know, the year 2008, 2009, 2010, it started getting pretty, pretty rough, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was <laughs> hardly anybody really want to do it. Yeah. Cause it was, it was, it was expensive and, and there wasn't a lot of money going around and your, your, your business turn, you know, wasn't that great. It, you know, October, 2016 is when it changed. When it, is that when it started coming back better? Oh, well, you know, you build complete bikes and then all of a sudden you don't. Just, and, and all that kind of stopped. That's when, I mean, all the factories pulled out, everybody pulled out and then it just, I'm not, talking fast. Just, I'm not talking just race bike. I'm talking the recreational toys. Cause you know, most of our business is, is recreational uh, mm -hmm. toys. You know, it's not race machines. Um, yeah. You get a few of those. So we go into the dunes and enjoying their, enjoying the desert. Yeah, desert, a hard pack machine or, or, or a dune machine, or, you know, you even got guys that are building show pieces that just sit there. So, yeah, I mean, you're building you Lobos and just staring at them. Every, I think that's everybody's dream. Yeah. Well, I got a couple of those we're, we're doing. So I'm sure. Um, yeah. So when in, in October of 16, you know, by the, by the first of 17, we'd already built more bikes complete bikes in that short period of time than we had in, in like three years. Wow. No, I, I believe it just with the, the, how far the numbers dropped and the, uh, it, it was, I mean, especially with best in desert. I mean, there was, I mean, being younger, when I was younger, you could see, I mean, 10, 15 pro quads lined up and 2015 was, I did best in desert in the expert class for a couple, uh, one year in the expert class and moved up after we won the championship. Um, and that was in, I think 12 and 13. And so it was, it was pretty low then there was a decent amount of numbers still, and um, kind of the diehards that, that never left were still there. Um, 
they took a year off of best in desert and then came back in 15 and started racing with my brother. And then, uh, I mean, that was a, a dream come true for the, that year that we did, um, to do that. And so what was nice is there's still some, there's definitely competition there with, with Prather and Dave Scott and, um, uh, Robbie and Jeremy. I mean, everybody, there's some, definitely some fast guys out there. So it's cool to see, at least there's some fast guys still racing and, and I wish the numbers were up to what they were, but, um, and it made it fun for some good racing out there in best in desert. At least I know the worst numbers were down, but at least we got to go battle with some fast guys there and, in oh, yeah. best in desert. Yeah. Well, the, the next episode that, that airs will be Danny Prather. Okay, man. There's so many times that be racing and especially in best in desert where we'd be going back and forth that year. I mean, we had some great battles and, um, we kind of, when my brother and I first started racing together as a team there in 2015, we came in and didn't, no one really knew that we were started racing together. And, um, he came back, just started racing again. And we said, just out of nowhere, Hey, let's go, let's do best in desert for the year. Or let's, we were planning on doing one race and we're like, let's go see how it goes. And, um, see if anybody shows up or what, how, if we do any good, um, I can't, we won the expert championship, moved up to pro, uh, I was racing with Josh Edwards and won the, champ the expert with him. And then we raced a year in pro class and I hadn't really trained a whole lot yet. And just wasn't up fast enough to be in the pro. I was fast enough to win the expert class, but I wasn't quite there yet for the pro class. Um, held my own for a little bit, but just kind of wasn't there yet. Um, so when we took the year off and just did some works races and then came back the next year with my brother that year, I'd been doing works and, works just really helped fine tune all my riding and, and help my cornering and helped everything. Um, and then getting a year older too definitely helped, but we came in the first round and kind of, I mean, no doubt about it. We caught people with their pants down basically. And we had a great first race and I think we won by, I don't know, eight or 10 minutes. And just cause we caught them by surprise. I mean, there wasn't very many people the year before and, um, we came in ready and, and it was awesome. I mean, we had a blast. And so after the race, we kind of looked at each other, my brother and I kind of looked at each other and say, well, I guess we're going to the next one. And so we went to the next one and won that one. And so then we were kind of hooked in for the year and there's no way we could convince ourselves to, to not go. And so that was, that turned into a really fun year. We, um, we won every race, but the last one. Um, so we ended up second, but but we won the championship. All we had to do was finish the last race to win the championship. So, um, we were in Henderson, the freezing cold. And so that wasn't that fun, but we were able to lock up the championship and, and win that year. So that was pretty exciting to get to do that with Vegas, Reno and silver state and doing all those fun races and, and getting to win them. Um, that was the year Danny had his bad accident. And, um, I remember in the section that he wrecked, it was nasty with rain ruts. And I mean, there's some that trophy trucks got swallowed up in and, the dust was pretty bad, even, even though all the rain ruts were there. And I, for that whole section, I, I had been on the bike for 140 mile, miles or so. And I didn't know that anybody behind me had wrecked. And I knew Danny was getting on when I was getting on. So knowing the rider he was, I just was just kept waiting for him to run me down. It's just that feeling in my head, just, you know, someone's there for some reason you keep hearing a quad, but it's your own. And for that whole 150 miles, I kept waiting for to turn him corner and see Danny's dust coming. And, um, then I get to the next pit and 
next bit and next bit. And then I finally get to one and I pull in and I was getting all, getting all excited. It was right before the last pit end of the finish. And I was getting all excited, the trying to figure out where he was at and how much I was gonna have to push to the end and, and wondering if he was gonna run me down. And they're like, no, you need to calm down. You have, you have a seven, eight minute lead. You need to simmer down a little bit and just get this thing to the finish. And, and so that was definitely a shocker. And I mean, he had a pretty bad get off, but we were all right there before rawhide. I think the top three or four of us were all um, just barely out of each other's dust. And um, we just got past them coming in to the pit right before that. And so stuff like that, I mean, it's those close races, like you said, dust trail, dust trail, and there's, there's something about that that just make, makes you miss it. Well, how happy was your pops that you and oh, finally brought that he was, home? He, yeah, he was grinning ear to ear, and he he does that a lot. But now nah, he was enjoying it. I think it, it, as much, if not more, than we were. So I mean, he loves the racing. I think most time more than we ever have. I mean, he tracks the races, and he still watches the Baja tracking, and calls me if I forget there's a race that weekend. Uh, he'll call me, and he'll be watching it and give me the update on all the all who's leading there or where everybody's at on the track. And so that was always cool. He'd, he'd get into it. And so it was definitely a family deal. We get out on the track and he'd be chasing with us and he, we usually jump in with him and you know how the chasing gets, you'd race to the next pit and get out and go a hundred percent again, and then get out and leapfrog and go a hundred percent in the, in the chase car and try and beat the bike. And so there's just a, there's a lot of good times in the car chasing each other, Mexico, especially as you know, the chasing gets kind of interesting down there. You get cops that start leading the way and you get car, each chase starts telling each other where cars are at. And, um, you never know what you're going to see down there, but the chasing we got to do with him and, um, with friends too, going down and helping, helping pit. It just makes that, that's what I think special about desert racing that you don't get anywhere else. No, I don't think, I don't think you can get that any, anywhere else that, uh, at being a chase guy, the exhilaration you get being the chase guy, because you are on the move. Um, I think it's a little dangerous. I'd like to, I'd like to slow that part down a little bit because I know some of the things that I did as a chase guy, I would never let anybody chasing for me do. Yeah. You know, I I would probably add a truck or, but there again, I was such a freak. I had to be there. I had to be at that pit when they told me you can't make it there. Okay, I'll see yeah. you there. You know, yep. and, and I'll be I, there and see the bike through. And I'd show up, and they couldn't believe it. You know, they'd be shaking their head, and I'd show up, and the bike would show up. You know, and and, it, and I did and you that. Start all turn it turn around and start all over again. Oh yeah, you know, and then you know when it go from coast to coast, you knew you couldn't you couldn't transfer because there was no way to do oh. it. So mm-hmm. you'd have to wait. But I'd be sitting at that pit as soon as they transfer. You'd be wishing you could. Oh. They they put me in uh they put me in a couple uh they put me in a couple trucks that would drive on the uh trails or in the dirt to get okay. me places, you know, and then get me out so that I could, you know, my truck would show up at another spot and I would get to see the bike in a place that, you know, you I wouldn't have never got. They would have. And then they get me out onto the road and I go to the next pit. Uh, that's i mean those loop races and stuff like that it just makes it fun going to the chasing and and like you said the exhilarate and then even when you're uh, as a rider you get off the bike and um 
you jump in the car and your heart's still going. You, you still are trying to figure out where, where you're at, figuring getting updates on where the next riders are and figuring all that out. Maybe you grab a quick snack and, and then who knows, you may jump on the bike for another three, four hours. So you're trying to just keep mentally prepared and focused and, and then relax at the same time. And then 30 minutes later, you may get right back on just depend how everything lines up. You never know. You may get off for an hour. You may get off for, for 30 minutes. And so it's just, uh, like you said, it's just, you can't do it anywhere else. They're just two different beasts. So, uh, what year did you win, uh, the pro-am title in works? I didn't actually, um, I got second. So I got, I won the open a loop in 2000. Uh, it had to be probably 14 or 13. I won the, the open a championship that year. I lost the pro-am championship to Mike Sloan by one point. Um, I remember that day I, I left. That was a heartbreaker for both of you because I left. We thought it was over. We thought you won the championship. I loaded up and left. Well, we thought so too. Cause we didn't realize that the, the drop rounds were going to, that there were drop rounds and, um, he had a, a issue with one of the rounds and, um, he had an issue with that round. Yeah. At that round, especially. And I think if he would have got, or obviously if he got passed by one more guy, um, I would have won it. And, but yeah, the way it worked out, he won by one point. I mean, we're all, everybody was sitting there. I, I remember seeing them all bummed and I'm like, what the heck, why are they bummed? He just won this thing. And then they came over and they're like, Hey, uh, Mike won and kind of nodded in acknowledgement and was bummed. And yeah, he didn't even realize it. And so that was a, and then I think the next year, the next year I got second again to him and it was quite, it was uh, 10 points or so, but that losing by one point just makes, makes you think of every race that year of where you could have gained that one point. And there's a, you could have at every round. It's just, but, um, I think it was, it was harder to lose, definitely harder losing by that one point than the next year losing by 10. So I apologize for my misspeak there. Uh, <laughs> did you go to the pro class the same year that he did? I think I did. I'm pretty sure I did. Cause we went one, two in pro-am two years in a row. And then I think we both moved up. If I, I'm pretty sure that's how it was. Yeah. I don't remember the year. 16. He was yeah, my, year in pro. Okay. So that would have been it. So it'd have been third or 14 and 15 where the, so 2014. Um, that makes sense. Cause I think we went, cause I was in pro-am when we went to Latouk in Canada and that was, I think, my last year on in the pro am class, and I think that was fifteen. Hey, that's got to be a good story. You yes, gotta tell that me was, we that. had to get to that one. So, I mean, you were up there the one. Were you up there the first year? The, I was up the there year the, that we don't want to remember. Or the year we want to remember. Uh, you guys won the year I was there, so you got to remember okay, that. Perfect. One. Yeah. No, the first year we went up there, and just, there was a last minute deal. Kind of threw something together and threw a bike in the trailer and took off up there is myself and Josh Edwards and, um, Bo Barron. Uh, we raced it, uh, I think Ridgecrest the weekend before. And then, um, we flew up there, just drove the truck and the bike up there and picked us up. And I mean, we, we had a blast there though. It was, I mean, the town of Latouk, that is by far, I didn't get too much Baja, but that was that town and that whole scenario was my favorite race that I've ever done. Um, 
it was, man, it, it, <laughs> like again, that, that race being a 12 hour endur- uh, endurance race on starting with a two minute lap time and finishing with a three minute with the way the sand whoops got. So we got up there the first year kind of to fill things out and had some issues at the beginning, right off the bat, first lap of the race, our light bar broke off, went off a jump and the, the light, the brackets broke out of the light. And so Bo started that race, came in the pits. We went right off the bat, went a lap down. Um, so that was kind of embarrassing. We were, the Americans come to show up and, and do good. And I mean, right off the, right off the bat, we get slapped in the face and pull in, pull the light off and take back off. And, um, this was kind of one of those races where we were fighting gremlins the whole time. Um, I had a, I rode decent that day and Bo got on and, and Josh rode pretty decent that day and Bo got on it. I mean, that's when all the people in Canada got to see Bo ride for the first time. And <laughs> man, they, and especially when everybody's seen him ride whenever he's behind and, Oh man, he put on a show. So, uh, that was pretty cool. And so it, it was pretty funny that the track would get so nasty and we would make up time the rougher it would get because our bike wasn't the fastest that year. Um, so the rougher it got was the better it was for us. And so they graded between sections and remember the first riders meeting, um, or after the first stage, they were talking about, Hey, we're in agreement with the track and everybody was happy because I mean, the whoops were two and a half foot deep. And I remember Bo raising his hand and saying, can we leave them in some sections? So it, it keeps the track slower. And everybody just kind of looked at him like, are you stupid? And, uh, some of the fast guys started laughing because they knew why exactly why you wanted to keep it rough right and just because that that made us competitive and well they couldn't, anyway, they we got, couldn't beat him in the rough either no not in that stuff i mean uh warney was warney and then there's uh one of the guys on the can-am that that were closer to his warney was but there was another guy that was closer to his speed that, but other than that i mean everybody else was he was just on another level so they make the track fat uh faster for us it just leveled it out and we couldn't make up all that ground so anyway, we had some problems in the night section and, and fell back and then we ended up losing our motor in the, in the third leg. Um, we were, I think in third at the time we worked our way back up to third, which was pretty good. Cause we were a couple laps down, um, lost the motor and, and then ended up going home with our tail tuck between our legs embarrassed, but that definitely lit a fire in us to come back home and, and come ready the next year. So we went back home and had a blast, it had so much fun, went fishing and, got to meet the guys at Elka and tour the factory and, and been partnering up with those guys for a long time. So it was cool to go up and see that, but we were up there to win. Didn't happen obviously. So we came home and that next year it teamed up with uh, H&M Motorsports with Alan and Davey and the Hagmas. So we were riding together in works. And so we teamed up for, for the Latouk race and Al built a bike. And um, I mean, it, um, for that year, for me, I, I, I was on a dream team. Um, with Davey and, and Bo, and, and we went up there and had the bike, and we showed up with our desert setup. We we rode all rode Maxis, and uh, we couldn't have any of the narrow tires that everybody ran up there for the sand. So we show up with our big old beefy desert tires, and everybody's laughing at us. Like, oh, those aren't going to work. And so we're like, all right, we'll, we'll see. And in our heads, we're like, oh. we didn't know either. We were kind of just halfway hoping they were going to work. And so we got up there a few days before the race, and did a shakedown on the bike. Everything was good. And, um, but we definitely went up more prepared and we took off and then, and you were there, you were pitted right next to us and got to see, and I think you and Eli, right? Yep. And Robin Fawcett. Yes. And so we, uh, took off and it was a complete mud fest. The first 
the first stage and Davy started it and, and rode awesome. Um, I think we were running second or third and just kind of, we knew it was a long race. It just stayed consistent. And I, th- I got on next and then Bo rode on, got on to finish and that first leg. So we finished the first leg. I think we were second or third and had not really any issues, just a few minor ones that came in the pits and, but the tracks were so fast. You come in the pits, you lose a lot of time. And we had a, I think that was, since it was money, the second, we kind of, as you remember, probably remember, we didn't necessarily have the warmest of welcomes for all the leeways. If there was anything that we were missing on rule book or anything like that, we didn't have a whole lot of leeway. So I remember leaving, I got jumped on for my leg. We, we had a pressure washer cause it was so muddy and we cleaned off the front of the bike and the numbers. And I went to leave the pit the first time and they stopped me and said, you need to clean your numbers the next time you take off. We can't read your numbers. And you can see them clear as day. They took a rag, wiped it off one time and said, waited, let the next quad go by, which happened to be the leader. And then, okay, you can go. And so, okay. So the Canadians are no different than the French. (laughs) Hey, they made it fun. And what, what was good, it lit a fire under all of us. So that put us a, a lap down. We were in, probably fourth or fifth at that time, just with the fuel timing lined up. So took off. And for some reason, I always found a way and I rode really good at Latuque. I don't know if I just enjoyed it and the track or just everything. I just, that day and that weekend, I just seemed to click with the bike. And so I put it down and got us back uh, up on the lead lap. And then Bo got on and, and got us back up into third. And uh, if you had another 30 minutes, probably would have got us back in the lead but anyway we we go back in the pits and the bike goes into staging for the night and we come in for the night section and um i started that next one and I remember taking off and er, and getting on the lights and i got a decent start with that lamont start it was the first time i'd ever done that and it was but it was fun and took off and i remember i hit the first flyaway and we had never ridden the bike at night with the lights or anything we just kind of sat on the bike and adjusted them and hope for the best but i hit that first jump and the light everything just went dark because our lights were shining up way too high and so <laughs> hit that first flyaway and i couldn't see a thing and landed in the dark and um just started reaching for all the lens caps that i could and hitting the lights trying to knock them down and so made it through my section we were up in the lead for the section and davy got on and kept picking away and picking away and um so we finished that section and was had a flawless night run and couldn't complain about anything that happened really it was it was pretty smooth and got into the next day section and um we were we weren't in the lead i think we were still second or third and but everybody kind of knew we were there they everybody was just waiting for us to 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 start putting it down i think and the uh we took i started that last section we were running a i remember my my heart was racing so much just with everybody watching and we were running one of those dual Terry cable throttles where you can switch because Davey ran a thumb and Bo and I ran twist. Well, we couldn't get the the pin out to switch to to twist. And you know, you can't work on the bike between the, the stages. And so I stressed myself out before the race, just worried about trying to get that out spent the whole time. I should have been relaxing a little bit and paying and focusing, trying to get the stupid pin out to go faster and not use a thumb throttle. And, took off and um had a few adjustments i needed to make on the bike once we took off so 
got a great start, took off in third and then had to stop making an adjustment. And then everybody passed me. I dropped to dead last and took back off and did everything I could and pushed as hard as I could and end up getting us pretty close to the lead, I think. And, and then I just sat back for the rest of the race and watched Bo and Davey put it down for the show all those guys, what, what we really could do and show why I thought we were the dream team up there. And we ended up, we had just got into the lead and then some of the other lead bikes had issues. And I think we ended up winning by six or seven laps up there. It was, it was something else, but we definitely got everybody's attention and um, they knew who we were and, and that we pretty much all could ride. Oh, they, it was an awesome deal. We got to watch the whole last part of the race because that poor little Yamaha, we were riding. <laughs> the, 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 it was the, tired. Well, it has plastic uh, mag plugs for uh, the uh, for the uh, checking the timing. Oh, okay. And the, to to so the, for the to cover the nut on the flywheel so that you can adjust it to top dead center. Well, they're plastic mm-hmm. from the factory. Well, we didn't change them. And as mm-hmm. hot as they run up there in that deep sand during the race, they melted out. And um, Eli was on the bike and he didn't know. He ran, it, he ran it out of oil. It was still running. We put oil in it and we rode it. We rode it another four hours, but <laughs> she just, she decided then, yeah, we don't, I don't want to finish this. Yeah. Thank. I want, I want to get towed in now. Yeah. It, I, I rode it to the top section, you know, where all everybody was pitted, but yep. when you come up to the, the top, you'd be on the top, then you would make a, a left and drop down in, and then you had to come right again to come back to, to where the pits were. And I made it up to the top and it just, it just let go with a billow of smoke and, and then <laughs> it let you know it was tired. Oh, there was a track guy there right behind me when it did it. And he, uh, he towed me right over to the truck and that was it. Huh. The end of a long trip. Oh, I had a blast. You know, you, you can't, uh, you can't do what I do as long as you, I have and let things get to you too bad because it'll drive you crazy. Yeah. No, and like you said, at least you got to watch a, watch the rest of the race. Enjoy it. Hey, dude, a fat old guy got to go out and ride with you young kids and have a good time. And that's what yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was out there. I was the fat guy out there. No, I was the fat guy. You, <laughs> you're a pretty good shape guy. That, so that did, you ever, was. did you ever get your degree in college? I did, yeah. I graduated uh, from Arizona State. I, I went to school for civil engineering. Um, so yeah, I, I mixed that in with the racing and I don't know, in hindsight, I don't know how I did it or why I went to so many races that year and made it so difficult, but I definitely found a way. I think I, I had added up the races that I did my junior and senior year of college. I did 42 races, my junior year and 44 races, my senior year. And granted, those were, some of those were in the same weekend with works because I was racing open a pro-am and then I was racing that year I was racing for Can-Am. Um, so I was racing, um, the pro, there was a pro production at the time and the pro turbo at the time. So I was racing four classes on the weekend. And then I do the local series and best in the desert. And, and I was, I was living on the road racing and either in the classroom or, or on the road somewhere. So it kept me in on my toes and out of trouble. It's probably what helped me do better in school. That's keeps you focused. It did. I knew I had to pass my classes and, and, get get out to do whatever I could to go racing and believe it or not even in college I'd go talk to professors and be like hey I, I know I have class on Friday uh, is there any way I could take the quiz or the test early and 
believe it or not, more I tell them what I do, and more often than not, they're all stoked on it. And yeah, just just do it then, and and or uh, no, you're not gonna be able to make that up. And okay, I guess that's a sacrifice I'm gonna make. And so figure out other ways around it. But they let me take quizzes early and tests early, and so that way I could take off on Fridays and or um and be gone for for a race and make it up, which was very helpful in going to some of those far races. That's awesome. Before I let you go, you just mentioned that you were ride driving the UTV. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen a big change riding the quad and transferring over to a UTV? I think the biggest thing for me was just uh, understanding terrain um, and being able to read, read the dirt, read things. I mean, before, if you misread something, you're going to end up on your head and it's going to hurt a lot. Now you can definitely still get hurt, which a lot of people don't think, but I mean, you could still get hurt in the cage, but just being able to read the terrain and understand it. And I mean, just look at some, a lot of the top guys in works. I mean, with Davey and Bo and I mean, even the Miller brothers, everyone that seems to be top competitors have come from a quad or a motorcycle or even the desert guys. I mean, just, I think it comes from reading the terrain and doing that sort of thing. Um, especially on four wheels that has helped me the most. I would say the side-by-sides anymore, they're really strong, way stronger than they were. And before it's early stages though, you definitely could outdrive the cars. And, and so that was the difference on the quad, the quad, you, most of them, you could pretty much hold them wide open and your brain's what's going to tell you to slow down. The quad's not on the side-by-sides. The side-by-sides are going to tell you to slow down or you're going to be sitting on the side of the track. Um, but anymore, it's getting so competitive that it's kind of a winner wad type race for everybody for the whole time. And, but it definitely has helped a lot coming from the quad racing and doing that for so long, just understanding the terrain and, and understanding the racing aspect and racing next to people being aggressive or knowing when not to be aggressive, how to make passes, that sort of thing. I definitely have the advantage um, coming from, from ATU racing. That's awesome. Matt, I really appreciate you taking some time with us here at ATV Talk. Um, I know that you're a busy guy and your schedule's all over the planet and it took us quite a while to get this, get this taped. Um, so I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe uh, you, you open some time up for us uh, later on in the year or uh, early next year and tell us how things are going because I know that racing's going to start up hard and heavy back then. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, give me a shout and we'll get on and do some more talking. It's my pleasure, sir. Thank you very much. And you have a great night. Thanks, Lenny. All right, buddy. Talk to you later, sir. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 
If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.